0: Not sure how to begin, so I'll just begin. So often when we hear the word, we have a hard time relating to it because it almost seems to contradict itself. For instance, in the psalm When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream, we were filled with laughter, our tongue was singing. The Lord has done great things for us. Turn again our captivity, O Lord. And then the very next verse. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And basically, that's the same type of comparison or contrast as we have in the Beatitudes. Blessed are, for they shall. Blessed are, for they shall. And the reason being, because in this life, it is sadness. In this life, it is grief. And we have to live in this life, in this world. We can't escape it. And those who, who think, well, because I'm a Christian, that the consequence of my actions are no longer the same as they would have been if I wasn't a Christian... And that if something befalls the world, I'm going to be safe from it and all that. That I have some special power or some special way of of not being affected by those turmoils and tumults of the world and and the vicissitudes, the ups and downs of the world are just fooling themselves because that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that we live by faith. Scripture says that indeed... We are amongst a people who don't know the Lord. That we live amongst those who dwell in darkness. And so it's not easy to be a dedicated Christian amidst a world that has no idea who the Lord is. But what's even more difficult is to live that way amongst other fellow Christians who don't seem to understand that there's more to Christianity than just my sins are forgiven and I'm going to go to heaven someday. They don't understand that we are in the world now as representatives of a crucified Christ. Of a Christ who still says I'm forgiving your sins. But the day will come as the scripture said we read today in the New Testament that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our hope, that he's coming again. This season of Advent, we start off by talking about the second coming and all. But the reason I mention all this is because one verse that jumped out from me, and, and truthfully, I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon From Zephaniah. I'm sure they've been given. But generally, you don't hear that. In fact, there are probably a lot of people who, if you said the book of Zephaniah, they'd say, who? What? What is that? The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. He will rest in his love. That word rest, if you look it up in the original Hebrew, means silence. Basically it's saying that he is silent towards us in his love. That just because he seems to be silent towards us, we shouldn't interpret it as his wrath. As though, uh oh, the heavens, I've done something wrong. The heavens have become as brass, and I need to see what's going on. His silence is love towards us. And he says, I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. What is the solemn assembly? Now the Mormons have what's called the solemn assembly when they reappoint or whatever it is they do the president or when one has died or something. That's not what we're talking about. And if you look up the term solemn assembly in reference books or in the internet, you're gonna see that more than often than not. That's not what the scriptures are talking about. I trust you realize that. What is the solemn assembly? two Chronicles fifteen nine Asa called a solemn assembly in Jerusalem, where the people entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their souls. two Chronicles twenty nine. Hezekiah and the leaders established a decree which was very extensively circulated, requiring all the people to gather for a solemn assembly and the celebration of the Passover. An entire fourteen days were devoted to seeking the Lord and worshiping Him. Ezra 6. Zerubbabel led the people in a solemn assembly and seven-day celebration of the Passover, in which they separated themselves from the impurity of the nations and pledged themselves to seek the Lord God of Israel. Nehemiah 8. A solemn assembly was held in front of the water gate, where the book of the Law of Moses was read by the hour and an agreement, or a covenant, was made in writing to put away sin and to seek the Lord with all their hearts. Joel chapter one. Joel called a solemn assembly in which all the people were required to be in attendance, and where all were required to return to the Lord with all their hearts, with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and where they were required to rend their hearts and not their garments. And there's even things in those scriptures in Joel talking about even the newly married, the honeymooners, would have to cease the honeymoon. It was that time and come to the solemn assembly. But what the Lord is excuse me, what the Lord is saying here in Zephaniah is I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly. In other words, there is a remnant. There are those who have a heart's desire for the solemn assembly. And the solemn assembly doesn't always have to mean, as you say here, sackcloth and and weeping and, and wailing, but it means solemn, serious, intense, seeking of the Lord. Asking for forgiveness of your sins and seeking the Lord with your whole heart. The problem is, just as in Israel, most people were as it says here, had a reproach about that, a criticism, a rebuke, saying, oh no, you don't need that. So many Christians do the same thing. They say, well, he's forgiven our sins and if we have a solemn assembly that we're not understanding that we're free and that we're liberated in the Lord and that we should be having a good time and playing and dancing and singing and jumping around and and doing all kinds of things and all that. But it says here that God is looking for those who are sorrowful for the loss of the solemn assembly to whom the reproach of it was a burden. In other words, to those who are burdened by the fact that others... And here it was Israel with us its other Christians. We are burdened by the fact that other fellow Christians, or in their case Israel Israelites, made a reproach of the Solemn Assembly. Today had seven days of, of feast, but the eighth day was the day of Solemn Assembly. That was the day, if you remember correctly too, that Jesus stood up and talked about the living water. But the solemn assembly, I believe, is what probably has led to some of the major revivals. They didn't call it a solemn assembly. And the solemn assembly was comprised of those who were aware of their sinfulness, aware of their need for a further commitment to God. So they were serious Christians. They were Christians who sincerely desired more of the Lord and who did so in the stead or in the place of as intercessors for their brothers. I think in a sense, in a small sense, these services are a solemn assembly, could be a solemn assembly, should be a solemn assembly, because I think the fact that we are small, the fact that few, should not dissuade us. Because what happens is, when the numbers increase, when there's growth, when there's financial prosperity, etc., etc., the solemn assembly is the last thing that the church thinks they need to do. It's like the churches in the book of Revelation, thinking that they, they are rich, thinking they have everything. I just mentioned that and also followed up with the last verse. At that time will I bring you again. I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out. And I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. See, those who seek the solemn assembly, those who seek to know God more, those who seek to fall upon their face, so to speak, before the Lord and in truth are driven out. They have to wander. That's why we, that's why Christians are, are called sojourners, pilgrims, and travelers in this world, just as he was. So I just feel that you know, I couldn't let these scriptures pass without stressing the fact that I believe we could be, we should be a solemn assembly. And again, I don't mean that we have to come in sackcloth and and, and tearing and rending of clothes. In fact, scripture says not rending the clothes, but rending your heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.